with us and Sister Bass. We want God to anoint him, touch him. This is a great, great man. He's been all over the world, recently came back from India. He's made several trips to India. He's doing missions work. Uh, he's making an impact worldwide. He is a fantastic preacher. Uh, he is a friend. I've had opportunity to travel with him in various places, but more than that, he's a man of God and a Christian, and I appreciate his spirit. And I believe that he has come at the right time to deliver to us exactly what we need. Amen. And so we want him to come to this pulpit. Greet him as he comes to this pulpit. Amen. God bless you, Brother Brass. Bass. Preach the word this morning. I'm so glad you're with us. Praise God. Well, amen. It is a delight to be back in Bakersfield at First Pentecostal Church. What a wonderful atmosphere of the Holy Ghost is already in this place today. I was thinking as the service was progressing, how marvelous it is to come to a place where you can feel the Holy Ghost that brings the refreshing. The old writer of the Old Testament said, this is the refreshing wherewith you cause the weary to rest. This is, the, this is the rest, and this is the refreshing. When you walk into a sanctuary such as this, someone said, why do y'all go to church so much? Same reason why we eat three times a day. Amen? Same reason. We eat three times a day, two times a day, whatever it is. Some of us four or five times a day. For two reasons. We like to eat. And we know it restores the physical man. And I enjoy the house of worship. Sunday morning service only one time a week is not enough for me. I got to go back to the house of God and get a good refreshing. I want that inner man renewed day by day. Ah, hallelujah. We're so happy to be here. Give honor to your pastor and the first lady of this church, their family. We love them very dearly. Also, the bishop, Sister Frost, we love them very much. These are friends, co-workers in the kingdom. We travel internationally with both of these men, and uh, it was and has been always a delight. I want to direct your attention to the book of Genesis, chapter 8, verse number 20. And uh, I noticed we started church a little bit early this morning. It's 9.38, and so... It means I have lots of time. <laughs> Amen. It's dangerous whenever, whenever the uh, maintenance people don't change the clock. The preacher looks at it and he thinks he's got all kinds of time. <laughs> I can see him running and getting a ladder right now. They're going to get that clock changed. Genesis 8, verse 20. And Noah builded an altar unto the Lord and took of every clean beast, of every clean fowl, and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled a sweet savor, and the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground anymore for man's sake, for the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I again smite anymore every living thing as I have done. While the earth remaineth seed time and harvest and cold and heat and summer and winter and day and night shall not. Somebody say shall not. Shall not cease. I want to talk to you a few minutes this morning on this subject. Seasons are certain but not final. Amen. Seasons are certain but not final. And everybody shout amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Praise God. The creation story, Genesis chapter 1, uh, gives us a clear understanding as to how our God created this world, or whatever your view might be, recreated. But what we notice is that there are eight different occasions in Genesis 1 where 
the scripture states, and God said, which is indicative of the word of God. God spoke his word. And in speaking his word, things became a reality. God said, let there be light, and there was light. So we understand very clearly by Genesis chapter 1 that all things were produced, they were created by the spoken word of God. And so this world that he created, uh, he created it pure, he created it holy, uh, he created it as a sacred place, a place where man could have a relationship with his creator, with his God. However, we note uh, not very far into uh, the time element when man began to possess the land, uh, that sin entered the world. And it wasn't enough that sin entered, but sin began to take control. And man, in due process of time, by chapter 6 of Genesis, the scripture said, that the very imagination of men's minds were evil continuously. And because of uh, the prevailing atmosphere of sin and the wickedness of the world, God decided, I'm going to, I'm going to uh, judge this world and I'm going to destroy uh, this world. And so we know that by the flood of Noah's time, that God did not in reality destroy everything that he had made, but I could say it on this wise, what God destroyed was everything that did not look like his word that he had given in the beginning. Amen. He destroyed the sin. He destroyed uh, the wickedness of that time. And so the flood that God sent in Noah's time uh, was for the purpose of destroying that which had not been created in the beginning. According to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, he said, we are born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. When you were and I were born again, of water and spirit, it began by the word of God. We were born again by the word. And when we were born again of water and spirit, uh, we entered into a walk with God, a relationship with God uh, that I believe began on the principle of holiness and the principle of righteousness. However, all of us understand that as we live life, sometimes uh, uh, there is a struggle uh, with keeping the heart clean and sometimes there's a struggle with maintaining uh, our position before the Lord in that righteous state. And so there are times I believe that God allows uh, storms to come to our life or trials uh, to overtake us. And I believe that most of the time the reason that this happens is because uh, that there are things in our life that God would like to purge out of us, that God would like to purify us, that he would like to re-cleanse us by his spirit. And so as a result, the storm comes and the storm rages and we find ourselves struggling in the midst of a tremendous trial. I want to tell you today that God does not do that to destroy you. He merely does it so that he can once again purge out of your lives those things that does not look like the word of God. I don't want to resist the trial in my life. I don't want to resist the trouble that might come because it may be that very thing that the Spirit of God is using to bring me back to the place that I need to be in him. Oh, hallelujah. Think it not strange when these manifold temptations try you, when 
these trials come your way because uh, the apostle said uh, it's the trying of your faith. Uh, it's the trial of your relationship with God uh, that brings you back to that place uh, that is pleasing to him. Thank God for the storm. Thank God for the trial. Thank God for the purging. Would you give the Lord a praise offering right now? Hallelujah. Amen. But what I noted in our scripture text this morning is that uh, the, the, verse number 20 speaks to us in the, in the immediate aftermath of the flood, in the immediate aftermath of the storm that the world has gone through. And verse number 20 said, and Noah builded an altar unto the Lord. And so what the indication here is that when the storm came, when the flood arose, that Noah's response to the flood was to build an altar unto God. And so I've come to tell you today that, that whenever the flood comes, it's not time to crawl up in a corner somewhere in a fetal position and begin to feel sorry for yourself. It's not time to feel, amen, a time of pity and shame, but it's a time to build an altar unto God. The greatest response you will ever have to a trial is to build an altar. The greatest response to trouble is to build an altar. The greatest response to the, to the trial and the flood of your life is to build an altar unto God. It's time to pray when you're going through trouble. It's time to pray when you're going through a trial. Can I get a witness in the house? Our response to the trial should be to build an altar unto God. Amen. Why? Why should it be that we build an altar in the time of the trial? Because as you read our text, that when he built this altar and he offered up burnt offerings, sacrifices upon the altar, verse 21 said, and the Lord smelled a sweet savor. And the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground anymore for man's sake. So what we find happening here is, that whenever Noah built this altar unto God, that God responded to the altar that Noah built. Can I submit to you that it is not your trial that God is going to respond to. It is not your ill circumstance that God is going to respond to. He doesn't respond to the storm or the flood. He responds to your cry. He responds to your altar. That's why the greatest thing you can ever do is to build that altar unto God. I go to the New Testament and I find it over and over again that it was prayer that God responded to. It was a cry that God responded to. Oh, hallelujah. Even when the disciples were on the boat and the storm began to rock the boat and the waves arose and the wind blew, Jesus was asleep in the bow of the boat. He never responded to that storm until the disciples came to where he was and, and began to cry out to him, Jesus, don't you care that we perish? And it was in response to their cry that he came up on the bow of the boat and said, peace be still. You've got to understand that it's your praise he responds to. It's your worship he responds to. It's your prayer altar that he responds to. Oh, clap your hands and shout unto God. Oh, hallelujah. Amen. When you're struggling, he's not going to respond to your struggle. He's going to respond to your prayer. 
when you build that altar, the Lord looks at the altar, smells a sweet-smelling savor. He notes the sacrifice that is placed upon that altar. And when he does, God says, I can't just sit on the sidelines. I've got to respond to that. I'm going to respond. You hear me today? It's really not even your sickness he responds to. It's the prayer of faith that he responds to. Hallelujah. I'm struggling. I don't know what to do. I'm going to tell you what to do. Pray. I said pray. I'm trying my best and my head's underwater. What do I do? Praise him. Oh, hallelujah. You may come to the house and worship and you can't hardly put one foot in front of another. You may be doing all you can to tread water and keep your head above the water. But if you walk in this house and you lift your voice in praise to him, God will respond to you. Hallelujah. Come on now. He might not even change your situation, but he'll change your perspective of your situation. He'll change my, 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 my. Hallelujah. He'll change you. He'll change you to deal with your problem. Hallelujah. Amen. You got to do something that God will respond to. Hallelujah. And when the Lord, when the Lord responded, he said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to make a promise. That's where you get your promises. You get your promises when you're praying. You get your promises whenever you're worshiping. And so his response to the altar was, I'm going to make a promise. And here's the promise I'm going to make. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, and cold and heat, and summer and winter, and day and night shall not cease. I'm going to make a promise that seasons are going to be certain. Amen. But they're not going to be final. I don't know what that does to you, but that gets me excited. Just to know that seasons are all, they're going to come. They're going to happen. But they're not final. Hallelujah. It might be winter time, but it's not final. It might be springtime, but it's not final. There'll be a change of season. Oh, hallelujah. This too shall pass. It's not always going to hang around. You see, when we read Colossians 1 and 16, he said, for by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, whether visible and invisible, or visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. Everything was created by him and for him. And then when you note uh, the writings of Paul in Romans 1 and 20, he said, for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power in Godhead so that they are without excuse. So we have a very clear understanding that everything was made by God. And, and, and that there are invisible things about God that we cannot understand unless we open our eyes enough to note his creation, the visible, that which we see. And whenever we look at what we can see, it helps us understand what we cannot see. It helps us recognize that there's a way by which God operates. There's a way by which God works. And we can see the manner in which God works by that which he has created. And so when I look at at the world that I live in, I can learn so much more about God. Whenever I start comparing the visible and understanding the invisible. And so that's why you have the psalmist in 74, 16 and 17, he said, the day is thine, the night also is thine. You have prepared the light and the sun. You have set all the borders of the earth. You have made summer and winter. So the first thing we understand is that that not only 
our season certain but not final. You have to understand it was God that made the seasons. It was not man that made it. It wasn't sin that produced it. It was God that created the seasons, which tells us that no matter where we are, what we're going through, it's God that made that season for us. It's, oh, hallelujah. Come on, you gotta get a hold of this this morning. Don't blame the devil for everything going on in your life. Don't blame your family. Don't blame your world around you. It could be the fact that your God has just created a season for you, but he did it for a purpose. He did it for a reason. This All seasons have a purpose whether it be uh, the winter time, or it be the spring time, it be the fall, it be the summer, whatever the season is, every season serves its purpose. And if we could grasp the reality of this, it would help us to be patient through the seasons when things are not going so good. You see, friend, we understand spring doesn't last always. That ought to give you hope that when you find yourself in the winter of life, you realize this is not going to last always. This is not... This is a certain season for me, but it's not my final season. It's not the end of all things. God created this place for me and I'm gonna persevere through it all. Ah, come on, let's praise him a little bit. Hallelujah. We could relieve ourselves of a lot of frustration if we would understand that God set these things in order. And all we have to do is learn how to be patient. Amen. Learn how to persevere. Now, I know you've heard these verses, but I'm going to read them again today because it's important. He said, the preacher said in Ecclesiastes 3 and 1, to everything. Somebody say everything. Hey, I like what I feel in this house here today. Come on, the Holy Ghost is in this place. To everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up that which is planted. Time to kill and a time to heal. Time to break down, a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones, a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace, and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to get and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to rend and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time of war and a time of peace. To everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven. And as I read about all these seasons and I read about all these times, there is one thing that I noticed the preacher did not include, that the preacher did not tell us that there's a time for this or there's a season for this. The one thing he left out was, amen, there's a time to quit because there's never a time to quit. Come on. I said never a time to quit. It may be weeping time, but it's not time to quit. It may be a time to lose, but it's not time to quit. Woo, hallelujah. Come on, I don't care what you're going through. It ain't no time to quit. It's no time to throw in the towel and give up the fight. <laughs> Hallelujah. It may be a time of dying, but it ain't no time to quit. It might be time to pluck up what's been planted, but it's not time to quit. It might be a time to break down, but it's not time to quit. Oh, 
Come on, you can't give it up now. You hear this preacher? Don't stop now. But you don't understand, preacher, how hard I'm struggling. That's all right. You hang on for a while. The season will change. You don't understand with the best. I'm fighting for everything I'm worth. That's all right. Keep on fighting. It's a whole lot better to struggle than it is to give up. It's a whole lot better to fight than it is to be defeated. Somebody ought to just get on your feet and say, I'm not quitting. I don't care what's going on. I'm not quitting. I don't care what my season is. I'm not giving up. But you don't understand with the bass, the hounds of hell are barking in my heels. It's a whole lot better to have them barking at your heels than to have them catch you and devour you because you gave up the fight. You gave. season to quit. Doesn't matter what season you're in, it's not time to give up. Glory, glory, glory. Mm, hallelujah. So I read a verse in 1 Samuel 16 and 13 that I find very interesting. 1 Samuel 16 and 13, then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him, talking about David, in the midst of his brethren. And the spirit, look at this, the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose up and went to Raymond. Now, this verse is not prophetic in nature. This verse was not spoken at the day that he was anointed. This was not given us at the time that the preacher laid his hands on him and anointed him to be the next king over Israel. That's not, what, that's not, that's not when this happened. This is written from a historical perspective. This is written by the individual that recorded all the events of David's life. Everything David went through, every season of his life, glory to God. And this writer was able to say that the day that he was anointed by Samuel, we can look back over his life now and we can say that the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward, telling us that no matter what David went through, God was with him. No matter what David faced, God was with him. No, no matter the struggle David found himself in, God was with him. It didn't matter what, oh hallelujah, when he was out watching his father's sheep and a lion rose up, God was with him. When he was saving the lambs out of the lion's mouth and out of the mouth of the bear, God was with him. When he went down, oh hallelujah, when he went down uh, to, the, to the camp of where his brethren was, uh, amen, and he stood face to face with Goliath, uh, God was with him. Whenever he was in the court of King Saul uh, and King Saul became angry with him and began to throw javelins at him, uh, God was with him. When he was running for his life for 10 long years uh, uh, being pursued by King Saul, the Lord was with him. When David found himself holed up in the cave of Adullam and didn't know which way to turn, 
God was with him. When Ziklag's city was burned and his family was kidnapped, God was with him. I said God was with him. God was with him. Amen. When he ascended the throne and Israel became the king anointed by God and the people, God was with him. When he went out and got the ark of God and brought it back to Jerusalem dancing before the Lord with all of his might, God was with him. What are you saying, preacher? I'm telling you that every single event in David's life, every single occasion, every single problem, every single time of stress, God was with him. Amen. Y'all ready? I ain't done with David. Amen. Are you hearing me? Amen. When David sinned, God was with him. I know, I know some of y'all already struggling with that statement. Amen. I didn't tell you God approved of it. I didn't tell you that God said it was okay. That's not what I said. I said God was with him. Even when he failed, God was with him. Even when he disappointed people around him, God was with him. Why? Because God's not like fickle people, amen, who are with you today and not with you tomorrow, who, who support you today but don't support you in your time of failure, your time of struggle. That's not the kind of God we serve. I'm preaching about a God that no matter where you are, he's still with you. No matter what you're, it can be a season of failure. Hallelujah. Come on, I'm trying to help somebody right now. You could be in the season of failure today, but this verse said God was with him. with him when he sinned, not that he approved of it, but God said, I'm not going to forsake you. I'm not going to leave you by yourself because if there's anything I want to do, I want to bring you back to where you need to be. I'm going to restore you. He's not willing that any should perish. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. If all we knew about David was his sin, our perception of him would be less than stellar. But we don't just see him in the season of failure. We see him in the season of repentance. And the Lord said, I'm not going to forsake you. I'm not going to let you down. You might let me down. You might let everybody else down around you, but I'm not going to let you down. I'm preaching to somebody in this house right now. You're struggling because of your failure. You're struggling because you think that God don't love you anymore, that God doesn't care for you anymore. You're struggling because, amen, you don't think there's a road back. You feel like you've burned every bridge, but you hear this preacher right where you are today. God's with you, and I'm gonna tell you why he's with you because he sent this preacher today to tell you he's not left you. He's not forsaken you. So we see him in the season of failure, but we see him also in the season of his repentance. And we understand God was still with him. When you got the Holy Ghost, you were baptized in Jesus' name. He put his spirit on the inside of you. He called you his own. You're his child. You're bought by his blood. You're washed, amen, in, in, in the blood of the lamb. You've been baptized in his name. You've got his spirit living inside of you. You're a child of the king, and it doesn't matter where you go in life. He has not forsaken you. Jesus said, no man can pluck you out of my hand which that means there's no trial, there's no trouble, there's no problem, there's no stress, there's no chaos, there's nothing that can take you out of the hand of God. Nothing, nothing, nothing. Come on, somebody hear me today. I said nothing. 
Your season is certain, but it's not final. It doesn't, you don't have to die in your season. Scripture tells us in 1 Kings 2 and 3 that God spoke to Elijah. And he said to Elijah, get you hence, turn you eastward and hide yourself by the brook Cherith. That is before Jordan. Now, if you know anything about the scripture, you know that Elijah had just proclaimed that there would be no rain on the earth for three years. There was going to be a drought. That means rivers are going to dry up, lakes, or maybe, you know, I, I'm sure some places, creeks and streams, they're going to dry up. It's going to be desolate. No rain, no crops, time of, time of drought. And here's what God said to Elijah. He said, Elijah, I want you to get hence. I want you to turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Cherith. That's before Jordan. And his word to him was this. Elijah, I want you to drink from the brook and I'm going to send ravens to feed you. Now, if you don't think that wasn't an act of faith to enter into that time of season, that time of life, you had a couple things to realize. Number one, the ravens, they're not providers. Amen. They're takers. They're scavengers. So their nature is not to bring and to feed others. It's to, they're like a predator. They, they, they want it for themselves. That's their very nature. The second thing is, when you study anything about the brook Cherith in that time, that when there was no rain, the brook Cherith didn't flow with water. Whenever it's not the rainy season, the brook Cherith dries up. Hallelujah. And God said, go down to the brook Cherith. I'm going to sustain you there. I'm going to sustain you by a place that in normal times, the water doesn't flow. And I'm going to sustain you with things and, and, and with creatures that, that's not their nature to do what I'm going to command them to do. Woo, hallelujah. What are you saying, preacher? I'm just telling you, it doesn't matter where God puts you, he will sustain you through that. can't make it here. Oh yes you can if God's commanding the ravens and if God is causing the water to flow in the brook that doesn't flow with water during normal draining the dry season. Amen. He sends him down by the brook and there he abides. Now there's something you have to realize here. Elijah is the king or, or the prophet to the people of Israel. Elijah is the preacher. Elijah is the man that God uses to minister, to, de to deliver the word of God to the people of God. He's a man that has just proclaimed there's not going to be any rain for three years. And immediately the heavens close and they're like brass. There's no rain falling. And so here's the man that days begin to pass and then weeks and then we get into months and he's drinking water from the brook and he is eating the meat that the ravens bring in the evening time. He is being sustained. But you gotta understand what the man is going through because this man is, he's used to being involved. He's used to being a part. He's used to being engaged in doing the work of God. He's, in, he's, got, that, he's got that, and I just have to believe that, that Elijah is sitting there saying, God, I feel so unproductive. I feel like I'm not getting anywhere. I feel like I'm not doing anything. I'm, I'm just sitting by this brook, and all I'm doing is drinking water from this brook, and all I'm doing, I'm by myself. I'm all alone. I'm not out among the people. I'm not prophesying. I'm not preaching. I, can I tell you that there are seasons of our life when we feel like we are not getting anywhere, that we're not doing anything. We feel 
well, hallelujah. I don't think I'm just preaching to myself here this morning. But there's times when we feel like everything around us is dried up. We feel like our world's dried up. We feel like even in the spirit, when we pray, we can't get anywhere. Whenever we talk to God, when we get in our prayer meeting, our, our words are dribbling off the end of our chin. They're hitting the ceiling and bouncing right back down on top of us. getting anywhere. I'm not getting anywhere. What am I doing? I'm, I'm unproductive. I feel like I'm not, I'm not getting where I need to be. I feel like I'm totally, totally, totally uh, useless to myself and everybody else. But you've got to understand that God had Elijah by the brook for a purpose. He had him by the brook Cherith for a reason. And that's because he was getting him ready for his Mount Carmel. He was getting him ready for the time when the fire of God would fall on the mountain and begin to consume the sacrifice to prove that there is a God. And you've got to understand today, friend, every man that's ever been to Carmel has first had his cherith. He's had his brook. He's had his trial of being alone. He's had his struggle with being unproductive. He had this fight within himself. Sometimes you can get to a place in life where you're wondering how in the world am I ever going to get out of where I am? What well, I'm going to tell you, seasons are certain, but they're not final. Because one morning, Elijah wakes up and the brook has dried up. And when he looks at that dry brook, he says to himself without a doubt, he says, yeah, and those ravens won't be here this evening either. Amen. Because suddenly he began to realize the season of my life is over with. The season of, oh, glory to God. And the Holy Ghost spoke to him. The Spirit of God spoke to him and said, I want you to get up from where you are and I want you to go down to Zarephath. There's a widow woman down there that I have commanded to sustain you. Now that don't even make sense either. A widow woman in a time, amen, of, of drought. A widow woman that barely has enough to get by and he meets up with her and she's gathering sticks and, and he says to her, would you make me a cake and she said look you don't understand I got enough meal in the barrel I got enough oil in the vessel I'm going to make my son and I a cake I'm, I'm, I'm gathering these sticks for a fire and when I make this we're going to eat it and we're going to die but God had already said to Elijah I've already commanded that widow woman now you got to understand this is the most unlikely source for him to get his encouragement Huh? This is the most unlikely source for him to receive what he needed to get him from Cherith to Mount Carmel. Can I tell you, you don't ever know where, when God's going to send you what you need. It might be the testimony of a brand new convert. It might be a young preacher in the pulpit that opens the word of God and with immaturity and inability, amen, to expound sometimes as it needs to be. He might just make one statement that all of a sudden gives you an energy and gives you a strength that says, I can come on. You don't need to discount any part of a service. You don't need to discount any part of the message. You don't need to discount any source that God will send your way. Amen. Every man in the word of God who ever had a caramel had a cherith. Joseph had his cherith before he had his caramel. Moses had his cherith on the backside of the desert before he became the leader of God's people throughout the wilderness. I could go on and on through scripture. I don't have time this morning, but I'm just telling you that when seasons come, you've got to understand God has not forsaken you. Huh? I, I, I did some reading. I did some reading on the effect that seasons have on trees. And um, I found some interesting things. <clears throat> One of the things it said was in summer, growth begins to slow down. 
where a tree is concerned. But notice, it also said that even though growth slows down, most all buds containing next year leaves are already set by midsummer. Y'all wake up now. I'm not done. Amen. Y'all were supposed to be up and running and shouting about this time. <laughs> Most all buds that are containing next year's leaves are already set in place by midsummer. Meaning that two seasons before the buds ever come out, they're already in place. Amen. You're worried about the fall of your life. You're worried about the winter and the devil's working your motor over because it looks like there's nothing going on in your life. You didn't look at him and say, that's all right, buddy. Amen. If you'll check out my tree, God's already got some things in place that all I'm doing is waiting for the right season. He's already got the buds in place. He's... Somebody needs to take some hope here this morning to realize that wherever you've been in life, whatever you've been through, God's already got some new growth already set in place. He's already got some blessings in place. He's already got some productive things in place. Huh? Oh, hallelujah. I feel like saying something right now. Are you ready? Amen. I feel like telling First Pentecostal Church here this morning, amen, that God's got some buds already in place for this church. He's got new growth already in order. I don't know what you've been through. I don't know what you dealt with, but there's growth. Oh, hallelujah. There's a bud named Sally. There's a bud named Mary. There's a bud, oh, glory to God. There's a bud named James. There's a bud named Bob. There's all kind of buds. All, God, hallelujah. Amen. God's already put it in place. Before you ever go through the season of fall, autumn, and winter, he's already put some things in order. He made a statement, uh, again, finding interesting, and the musicians can come on. I'm, I'm not very far from being finished here. And, and, and so it made this statement. It said, trees begin their preparation for dormancy in fall so they can survive through the winter. Now, I, there's a lot of preaching there. I'm not going to take a lot of time. But let, let me just tell you that whenever, whenever Joseph went Egypt, in, in Egypt and Joseph understood that there's going to be seven good years and seven lean years, he did not spend seven lean years trying to abort or seven good years trying to abort seven lean years. He didn't spend seven good years trying to keep seven bad years from happening. Our problem is we spend so much time trying to keep bad things from going on in our life when what we ought to be doing is getting ready. Preparing ourselves. That's why when you come to church on a Sunday night and the Holy Ghost begins to fall, you need to start loading up. You ought to be getting ready. You ought to be like those animals, those small animals that, that start laying some stuff aside. I may not need this right now, but I may need it tomorrow. I may not need it now, but I may need it by next Friday. Get prepared. He made this statement. It said, in deciduous trees, a layer of scar tissue is formed between the leaf and the branch attachment known as the abscission zone. So you have the branch and you have the leaf. And it says scar tissue is formed right here between those two points. And it said that through wind and gravity, the leaf falls off and it leaves scar tissue in its place. Amen. And if all you saw on the tree was the scars, I said, if all you saw on the tree was scars, you'd worry about the tree. Can I tell you, don't judge me by my scars. Woo, hallelujah. 
I said, don't judge me by my scars. You see, the scar represents where something used to live, where something used to be, but now it's gone. Hallelujah. And I'm getting ready for new growth. I'm getting ready for a change. My season is about to change. Amen. Winter time. Trees, many trees have leaves that are gone. They're barren. They look like they're dead. Don't judge a tree by the winter, the season of winter. I said, don't judge it. If you were to go up there and cut a limb off, you'd find out when you broke that limb off or you cut that limb off, there's life on the inside. On the outside, it may look like it's dead. On the outside, it may look like it's lifeless or hopeless, but there's still life on the inside. Come on, don't judge me by the winter of my life. Don't judge me by the dry times. Don't judge me by my trial. But here's the part I like. I feel so much Holy Ghost in this place. Whoo, hallelujah. Made this statement. It said, starting in spring, trees began reacting to increasingly longer periods of daylight and warming temperatures. Trees have no clue what the farmer's almanac says the first day of spring is. Trees don't read the almanac. Trees don't know what the calendar says. Trees realize something's going on in the atmosphere. The temperatures are warming up. The daylight hours are getting longer. Hallelujah. And it said cued by specialized detection cells. Buds begin to open and new leaves begin to expand. And so what it's saying is that those buds that were set two seasons before, there's some specialized detection cells that surround that bud. And when those detection cells start detecting a change in the atmosphere, starts noticing that the daylight hours are getting longer. It sends a signal to that bud and said, it's time to open up. It's time to come out of hiding. It's time to come out of where you are. Oh, glory to God. Can I proclaim something here today that I feel in the Holy Ghost right now? I feel like it's springtime at First Pentecostal Church. I said, I feel like it's springtime at First Pentecostal Church. I feel like all of us need to have some spiritual detection cells that we detect something's happening in the spirit. The atmosphere is changing. It don't have to be a Sunday night. It can be a Saturday night prayer meeting. It can be a Monday afternoon prayer meeting that we suddenly realize, I feel a change in the atmosphere. I feel something going on in the Holy Ghost. I feel something taking place. Amen. And so three things happen to a tree in the springtime. Three things happen to a tree. It grows up, it grows out, and it grows down. It gets deeper in the soil. And whenever we come out of our season of winter, the Lord wants us to put our roots a little bit deeper. He wants us to reach up a little bit higher in the spirit, and he wants to put on some growth on our lives. I'm telling you what I feel in the Holy Ghost. No matter what your season has been today, it's a time for some new life. It's a time for a change in your world. Hallelujah, hallelujah. If there's people sitting on these pews here today and you don't have the Holy Ghost, you can have new life before you leave here. You don't have to continue to put up with the deadness of your life, the deadness of the mundane living, doing the same thing over and over again and life never changing in the Holy Ghost. You can have new life in the Holy Ghost. Your whole world can change in the Holy Ghost. You can walk out of here today saying, everything's gonna be all right. I've got a new world. I've got a new heart. I've got new life. Somebody lift your voice right now. Somebody pray.
There's not a mountain. Hallelujah. There's someone in closer. There's others trying to come, church. Come on in closer. There's others trying to get to the altar here today. Come on. I feel a change in the Holy Ghost. I feel like somebody's going to walk out of here realizing the Holy Ghost just told me that my life is about to change. My world is about to change. I'm going to put on some new life. Oh, let's praise him. Let it happen. Let it happen. your hands would you let the power of the Holy Ghost fall in this place come on would you let the power of the Holy Ghost fall in this house somebody needs to walk out here in courage somebody needs to leave here knowing my season has changed my season has changed my God has turned my situation around
Somebody sees it today.